DW the 77 percent Kada uh yeah Ivan Sanitaje Fantanka Kaira Silo woman jumpa a challenge to glam you andanga corona killing up in the banta Hussein Dara, the superstar himself here in the Gambia, getting us started in this week's edition of the 77%. He is reminding us of something that has been repeated again and again towards our hands and sanitize, because COVID-19 is real. My name is Omar Wali and it is good to have you on the show. Today we are looking at how COVID-19 has affected those in prisons, especially when it comes to justice delivery. I have got a team of brilliant young minds here in the Gambia to navigate us through the topic. And also on the show, Zimbabweans react to the release of some prisoners to the congested prisons due to coronavirus. You can also be part of the show. And we are asking on our Facebook page, DW Africa, has the release of inmates due to COVID-19 increased in security where you are? Please drop your comments. <laughs> Just like many African countries, Zimbabwe's COVID-19 cases have risen sharply, with many of them transmitted locally. Prisons have been seen as a potential hotspot for the pandemic. The government has taken several measures to decongest the prisons, including releasing some inmates, several of whom were serving life sentences. But do Zimbabweans support their release? Prisoners should be released back into society. But more focus needs to be done on rehabilitating the prisoner to ensure that they are a functional member of society. Decongesting prisons in Zimbabwe is a noble idea particularly um, in light of, you know, one, the rising cases of uh, COVID-19. And uh, if we look at our, our government, it's actually struggling to finance the public health system. So what more are uh, in prisons? Releasing some of the prisoners is good because then the prisons will be able to manage even issues of uh, social distance. Of course, it is a noble idea that they're trying to decongest the prisons um, and, trying to, and trying to avoid the, the spread of the coronavirus but i don't think it will go as far as they have planned because as soon as they're out they they don't have as much information as um most people have now especially uh, concerning avoiding the spread of coronavirus when it comes to sanitizing yourself uh, wearing face masks always etc so you realize they actually a, a greater risk of them going outside for not only them, but everyone else, the general public. I think we are going to, 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 to witness a, a high crime rate because uh, these um, uh, pardoned, uh, are being, these pardoned prisoners are, are going to be released into a society where there is already unemployment rate. So in, what, are, what are they going to do? It's obvious they are going to engage again into crime rates in order for them to put food on, this, on the table and also to survive. 
Zimbabweans reacting to the release of some inmates to decongest the prisons due to COVID-19. And the last one says they might end up engaging in crime with no jobs in sight, then they have to look for ways to survive. Not only Zimbabwe that has released inmates to decongest prison due to corona pandemic, but several African countries. And we are also asking on our Facebook page, DW Africa, has their release increased insecurity where you are? Mark Andy says those in prisons are not a threat to us, rather than our government and ministers plus some security agents who use guns to rob and kill people. Politicians are stealing billions from us and the common man goes to jail. Another comment is from Evan Christopher Adesima in Nigeria. He says it is a funny world we live in. Those who should rot in jails are the ones deciding the fate of those who are struggling to make a living. You can be sure that Africa, those running the system, are the criminals. Ochokumwe Okonko Anduko, also in Nigeria, says the innocents are prison while the criminals are left and elected as government officials and some are appointed government workers. Thank you so much for all your comments. Keep them flowing on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Here in the Gambia, in an attempt to contain the spread of COVID-19, in March this year, President Adam Abaro declared a state of public emergency, banning all public gatherings in the country. Court proceedings were suspended for weeks. Hundreds of suspects waiting or undergoing trial were held in custody for weeks without stepping foot in court. As the saying goes, justice rose is justice denied, but justice delay is also justice denied. Was it just for courts to be suspended? And what impact does the pandemic have on justice delivery? And does this mean inmates will spend more time behind bars due to corona pandemic? I will allow my panelists to introduce themselves. My name is Yama Lenjang. I'm a law student, also working as a researcher for the investigations unit of the TRC of the Gambia. Also a writer and a columnist for the Chronicle Gambia. My name is Yanku Badabo. I am a human rights lawyer and a political activist. Lamin Jahada is my name. I work for the Gambia Press Union. I also work as a freelance journalist. My name is Malik Mjaj. I'm a social entrepreneur. I will start with Tia Malin. When the Gambia confirmed cases of COVID-19, the president declared a public state of public emergency. Public gatherings were suspended and uh, courts as well. During that period, it took like a couple of weeks before suspects were in trial to get justice. Was it necessary for the government at the time to suspend court? Absolutely not. I don't think it was necessary at all. And also it might have been an infringement on their international human rights obligations. So the court should have made as much effort as possible to make sure that proceedings were going on. Thank you. Yankuba, let me come to you. You are a lawyer by training and um, someone who is also awaiting trial. Um, you have been to Mile 2, you spent a couple of weeks there. What can you tell us about the prison conditions? I've been part of the Mile 2, they call the remand wing. The conditions apparently there is much better than the main yard where the convicted prisoners are kept. They tend to say that our part is much better, but if you ask me, that is the worst place that anybody could be confined into. Jate, let me come to you. You publish articles on prisons, and um, what was the motivation, and what can you tell us about uh, what you came across during that process? I was trying to do a story on a human rights story, but an underreported human rights story. And I've made a preliminary research and I realized that 
prison is one of the things that is, I wouldn't be fair to say never reported, but one of the stories that is seriously underreported. So I took it upon myself to go to the prison to find out how these people are living to sort of set light on the situation there. So Mali, Corona has exposed so many weaknesses, not only in our health sector, but also in many aspects of the government. So what is your take with the government coming up this season to suspend courts? I look at corona in a positive and negative aspect of it. The positive aspect of it is it shows how ill-prepared our health system is, and also it exposes the lack of preparedness by our policymakers in prioritizing in some of the things that they do. For me, I think the courts could have still gone on because maybe what they could have done was to stop the public from going into the courtrooms. But I think with the social distancing and putting up the necessary WHO recommended standards, prisoners could have still gone to court and then magistrates would have been there to continue on delivering justice or court proceedings to go on because usually like some of these people have been in in the remand wing for some of them for years some of them for months and they have not have access to, to lawyers so i think court proceedings could have still continued while the covid is on yankuba you can come in now okay one of the things i want to identify here or separate is that we have convicted criminals and then those waiting trial. These are the people in remand. Those in remand, the very moment that the government decided that due to COVID-19 at the time, because of the unknowns about, of, that, of this virus and, and its risks, the moment it was decided that it wasn't safe for the courts to continue sitting, it should have been appropriate for all those um, uh, detainees in remand to be considered for bail. There was no reason why they should not be considered for bail. We currently have people who admitted to murdering 40-something people. Those people are literally released in the open society and they're not reoffending. These other people, they have to assess them. They should have assessed them and then they could have released them into the society and required them to go on daily reporting to the police so that the police will be able to know whether they've absconded or not. Yeah, Malen, you, you are a writer and an activist. Do you say a similar thoughts? Do you think it was a good idea for the authorities to release suspects waiting trial? Well, what I believe is that there could have been a way that they could have arranged such that court proceedings could go on. I think that is the best way, that the best thing that could have been done. Just releasing them out there might have been too much trouble keeping up with who is there, where and what might be complicated. But I really believe that the government could have facilitated for courts to keep going on while we're in, under a state of emergency as is expected under international law. Jata, you spoke to various former inmates who serves prison terms at Mile 2 Central Prison. Do you have an idea how many were kept in a single cell? If you look at the remand section of the prison, from 2009 until 2017, the average period per cell at remand was 30. And if you look at the size of the cell, this is a cell of about 2.5 by 3 meters. You have 17 to 19 adults there in the same room. The cell is such that you have like five, five, five beds, usually four to five beds, and the bed is sort of partitioned. You have what they call the down below, down below, some of them call it. So you have some people sleeping 
under that one is the wooden plaque. So under that wooden plaque, you have some space down, like you have a table. Some people will sleep on the table. Some people will sleep under the table, on the floor. Those who are lucky will have mattress, sleep on their mattress. Those who are not lucky will sleep on that damn bare floor at night in the cold of mile two. So that's how terrible mile two situation is. People are sent to mile two, not just for unbailable, I mean on remand, awaiting trial, not just for unbailable offense, but for bailable offenses. And to add on to that, these people spent long, very long years there. I spoke to one particular prisoner who was waiting trial for seven good years. I think something could have been done. Marlon, if you are to recommend to the government of the Gambia regarding the prison condition, what will it be? I don't think dumping people in mile two will solve the problems we have. I think we have to look at other options aside from just punishment and keeping people in prisons. So we shouldn't condemn them. I think it's a very lazy way of doing things. There should be correctional facilities. Imagine keeping somebody who's committed a crime, perhaps a rapist or a drug addict or something like that, and you keep them in mile two for a few years, and they're hardened, and then you release them back into society. And you think that's going to solve the problem? It's not going to solve the problem. And Gambia is a very small country. I think we should be able to think out of the box and fix our problem in our unique ways or take example from other people who are doing it successfully. Yakuba, you interacted with um, some of those who are serving prison terms and those waiting trial. So how often do some of them go to court? Usually, every week, they would come with a list. So for every Monday, they will come and call some people and say, you have court cases. But like he's saying, the judge is saying, we have a lot of people in, in the remand wing. So on a daily basis, you get like one or two people going. There are some people who will tell you the last time I've been to court is six months ago or seven months ago or one year ago. And also, not just within this COVID-19 period. So if anything the government needs to do is you need to, first of all, dismantle the whole of Mile 2, reconstruct it, and then also think of other places where you're going to have modern prison facilities for prisoners. Mali, let me come to you. Do you think the country needs a, a new prison? I'm very skeptical of prisons, generally. I understand there are some people who've committed crimes and they need to be kept in a particular place for the safety of people. But I believe in rehabilitation. I believe in correction and fixing them and putting them back into the society. I think that is more productive, that is more um, useful and helpful for the society. So yes, we definitely do need a new prison, a modern facility. This prison dehumanizes people, destroys your dignity, even when you stay there for a few days, less of years, and nobody deserves that. Even the person who's committed a crime deserves to be treated like a human being. So I think, yes, we do need a new prison structure where prisoners can live comfortably, not luxuriously, but the very basics are met. But we do also need to think of other ways of dealing with people who have committed crimes in the country, as opposed to just locking them up and forgetting about them. Malik, what do you think? For me, I'm a firm believer of you know, justice, because for every action any human being does, there is need for accountability. Lamin, are you in support of um, a new prison, or are you advocating for prisons to be de- decongested? Well, I think one of the ways the prison can be decongested is by building new prison, new facilities. So the reform that they all talk about, I think it can be underpinned by bringing, I mean, probably building new facilities. But in addition to this, I think the reforms can also be underpinned by the, the legal reforms. So for us to have some of the things that, for us to see some of the reforms that we want to see in the prison system, the law must be changed first. The law have to be responsible to modern needs of prison for the prison reform to, to go through. And like I said before, to be a prisoner, even to be a condemned, confirmed prisoner, 
I mean, sent to jail by the courts, it doesn't mean you are stripped of all your rights. You still have some rights that follow you wherever you are. So to be in the prison doesn't mean we don't have, I mean, they, they should not enjoy certain basic facilities. And the enjoyment, some of those basic facilities depend on the laws. So I think apart from the physical infrastructure, when it comes to prison reform, the basic fundamental thing that the government should focus on now is to begin to review the law with a view of making it responsive to the modern prison needs of the country. Malik, finally. We also as a country need a similar project like the Innocence Project in the U.S. I think also that could help a lot of these prisoners who are in remand or those people who are wrongly sentenced. Young Cooper, you have been in prison there. You spend nearly one month there. If you had to change one thing about the mile to prison, that is the state central prison of the Gambia. What will it be? I'll change mile two itself. I will probably move the prisoners from mile two to somewhere else. There are so many unused military barracks or military government old facilities that we will probably rebuild and turn them into proper prisons because mile two, as they said, is outdated, is a cake. Rehabilitation is non-existing at mile two. All we probably have is punishment and deterrence. In the 90s, there was a judge in the UK that came with a famous quote. He said, human rights do not stop at prison gates. I think that's what he was trying to say, that those rights continue to be with the person even when they are convicted, even when they are in prison. Because one of the things you learn in criminal law is that everyone is more or less a criminal in waiting. You just don't know what you're going to do tomorrow before you find yourself on the other side of the law. And the next thing, you are a guest in the prison. So even when you go to prison, one of the things they tell you at the induction is that this is no man's home. It's everybody's hotel, literally. Any one of us could be here. As we speak now, what is happening is mile two is not taking any new inmate. I have a client who is accused of murder. He is now currently in a police cell at Carnifing. He cannot be taken to remand simply because mile two is not taking anyone in due to COVID-19. So mile two is not taken. Just one is not taken because they're saying they're over, they're social distancing. They're too full. They cannot be able to implement the social distancing in their cells at the moment. And therefore, they cannot take in any new addition because of that. And police cells are far worse than um, remands. So these people are now, this person accused of murder is now in a police cell for God knows how long? We don't know. Yeah, Malin, finally, what is your take on this whole thing? I think one thing we failed to do as a country, which is still disturbing us, is that after colonialism, we didn't look at these laws and structures that were not built for us. They were meant to serve a different purpose. They were meant to serve different people. So ranging from education to the agricultural sector to the prison system, the justice system, we should have reviewed all of this and look at how compatible it is with our societies and our needs as a society. So this is just what is disturbing us now. And I, I know it's going to take a lot of effort and inconvenience, and it's pretty scary, but we need to question a lot of things that are happening in the country, a lot of things, a lot of ways we do things, but which are not been proven to not be working, but we're still holding on to it. We have to start questioning this disrupting and rebuilding and fixing. And I think that is the basis of a lot of problems that we have now. And we can begin with the prison system on the way, but it is just symbolic of our problems generally. Thank you so much, Yamalin Jan, Yankuba Dabo, Lyman Jahate, and Malik M. Jaju for making time. It was such an insightful debate. Bossy. Bossy. 
And with that, we have come to the end of this week's 77% show. You can listen to this show and previous editions by visiting dw.com slash 77%. Keep the 77% debate going by visiting our Facebook page, DW Africa. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Africa. On behalf of the crew that made this show possible, including my producer, Jen Nyingi, I, Omar Wali, is saying bye from the Gambia.